Well, howdy. Hey, it's, uh, it's good to be back at Community of Faith. I always love the opportunity to be here with you. Uh, so I hope that the summer's off to a great start for you guys. I'll just start by telling you this. My wife and I got married 10 years ago, which means we started dating 11 years ago, which means I started trying to work it with her 12 years ago. And, uh, you know, this is, this is really going to be hard for you guys to believe. I still can't get my mind around it, but there was actually a time when my wife just wasn't that into this. I know, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand, still working through it. But I'll never forget this time when, before Catherine and I had started dating, where I was on the phone with her and I somehow convinced her to watch a movie with me that night. And it caught me so off guard that she agreed to watch a movie with me that I immediately got off the phone and went and started changing my clothes because I didn't want to just look fine. Like I wanted to look like fine, like fist biting fine, like mm, wow. And I know what you're thinking, you're like, you're not capable of that. But I was going for it, all right? And I'll just be honest, as I was kind of getting ready to, to go see Catherine, my mind just started going down the rom romantic road. I just started thinking, man, if this goes well, what if I actually get to take her on a real legitimate date? And then what if we start dating? And man, I just started going down the romantic road in my mind. And so I check the mirror, the clothes look good, the spike is spiky, and I get in my car and I'm heading over there and I'm just fighting pitters the entire way over there. And as I'm on my way, I decide to give her a call and ask her if I can pick her up some ice cream so she can watch it during the movie. I just wanted to show her that I'm thoughtful, spontaneous, whatever. And so I call her up and she informs me that she doesn't want any ice cream. And she also informs me that she's uh, invited her friend Katie to join us as well. And uh, men, that just began a night-long lesson that you have to be very clear with your intentions because when I got to her apartment and we started watching the movie, uh, she got a phone call from another guy who was calling to actually ask her out. And so Catherine spent a portion of that time in the other room talking to this other guy. Uh, the good news, the good news is that after she got off the phone, us three girls were able to sit around <laughs> and just debrief about the phone call. So that's how that went. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you, that night, my dreams in reality went in two totally different directions. Like I dreamed of being her man, I ended up her gal pal, okay? That's how things kind of worked out that night. And there was disappointment. There really was, but that disappointment probably lasted a day. The reason that I tell you this is because there are times in our lives where our dreams in our reality will go in two totally different directions and it will leave us dealing with disappointment, not just for days, but potentially weeks, months, and even years. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that's living in the midst of a disappointing season. Maybe your dreams for your marriage and your reality in marriage are going in two totally different directions, and there's some real disappointment there. Maybe your dreams for your kids and your reality for your kids right now have gone in two totally different directions, and there's some disappointment there. Maybe you're single and you don't want to be. Maybe your family planning hasn't gone as you thought that it would. 
Maybe a loved one is sick. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're not where you thought you'd be in your career by this point. Maybe you can't put your finger on it, but you just don't feel yourself. Maybe you're battling some depression, and you're stuck in this season of disappointment. How do you deal with the times in your life when your dreams and your reality go in two totally different directions? What I want to do this morning is I want us to step into the Holy Scriptures, and I want to show you a story about Zachariah and Elizabeth, and we're going to learn from their disappointing time in life. So this morning, I want to give you four key truths you need to know when dealing with disappointment in your life. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We'll start in verse 5. Verse 5 is just going to kind of introduce us to the characters we're going to be following today. It says this, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So this just kind of sets the scene for us. It tells us that Zechariah was a priest, which means he worked for God for a living. And as a priest, he would have been required to marry a virgin Israelite. It tells us that he married Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. This means that she wasn't just any old virgin Israelite. Aaron was the brother of Moses. He was the first high priest of the nation of Israel. So what this means is Zechariah was a poster child for the how did that guy get that girl foundation. That's what's happening right here. And then we get verse 6, which is going to fill us a little bit more It's going to fill us in on who they are. It says this, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So they knew God, they walked with God, and they obeyed God. Now verse 7 is going to drop us into their disappointment. It says this, But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. What you need to know is childlessness in this society was considered a curse. Not only that, children were supposed to take care of their parents in their older age, financially and physically. So the fact that Zachariah and Elizabeth are advanced in years with no children means that they have been walking in public shame for a very long time. And because they don't have any any children, they are pretty much guaranteed to finish their life struggling financially, physically, and socially. Talk about disappointment. Talk about disappointment. In these three verses here, verses 5, 6, and 7, kind of land us in a really difficult place theologically because we are people, if we're really honest with ourselves, we are people who want to believe in the idea of karma, the idea that if you do good, you will get good from God. I use this example a lot, but I I think that we want to interact with God as if he is a cosmic-sized vending machine. If you think about a vending machine, you, you have to punch in a combination to get what you want. So if you push A6, it might drop down exactly what you're wanting. If Zachariah and Elizabeth are working some combination, it would appear that they've gotten the combination right. Verse 5, a good heritage with verse 6, a good character. But what does it drop down for them? 
nothing but disappointment. Can you resonate with this at all? Maybe you're sitting there and and you feel like you've gotten the combination of life right. Maybe you've got good church attendance or good moral behavior or strong uh, charitable giving. And yet you're sitting in the midst of a disappointing season. Here's what you need to know. If you interact with God as if he is a cosmic-sized vending machine, if you treat him as someone that you work the combination, and if you get the combination right, then you should get what you want. You need to know if you interact with God like that, eventually the vending machine of heaven will get jammed. It got jammed for Zachariah and Elizabeth. And it will get jammed for you. And when it gets jammed, life will become very disappointing. And when life becomes disappointing, God can become very disappointing. And when God becomes disappointing, it can cause massive disruptions in your relationship with Him. I remember one of my closest friends in high school graduated high school and went to Baylor. And in a matter of a year, his, uh, he had multiple extended family members die in a matter of a week. He was involved in a serious boating accident and his closest friend, his, or his uh, roommate in college, passed away in a plane crash. And at some point along the way, he, re- he just recalled the story and he just told me, I reached a point where I told God, you throw whatever you want my way and I'll show you I can handle it on my own. And then he actually got diagnosed with cancer. But I really appreciate what he was saying. He was just basically saying, what's the point? Like, what is the point? I have good faith. I've had good church attendance. I've had good moral behavior. And what has it gotten me? What has God dropped down for me? Disappointment. And that began what would become really a a 10-year hiatus from faith. And he would tell you that 10 years was a, was a period of time packed full of compromising decisions because this is the way it works a lot of times. A lot of times when there's disappointment in God, there is also sin against God. Where there is a lot of disappointment in God, a lot of times there is massive amounts of sin against God because what we will do is we will try and rebel against God and at the same time pacify our pain. But what we end up doing is trying to pacify our pain with things that just bring more pain upon ourselves. No, you need to know the first key truth that you need to know when dealing with disappointment is this. If you operate with God as if he is a cosmic-sized vending machine, the vending machine of heaven will get jammed. It will. And I feel like Jesus tried to prepare us for life in this world. Listen to what he said in John 16, This is just maybe hours before he's arrested and then crucified. So this means Jesus is sharing with his friends just the most important truths that they need to know before he leaves them. And he tells them this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I just picture Jesus gathering his friends around saying, guys, I'm God, so I always know how to say things as best as possible, but I went ahead and stayed up all night with my father just making sure I've got this thing straight for you. Let me just say it as clearly as I can. In this world, you will have trouble. 
Okay, Jesus, let me just make sure I'm understanding you correctly. If I get the combination just right, you're going to drop down what I want. No, 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 no. Listen up. In this world, you will, not you might, you will have trouble. Jesus never promised your best life now. He never promised your best life now. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, what did he say? He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Why would he need to say that? Because he knows that this world can beat us down. The Psalms picture God as a rock and a refuge and a shelter, as a stronghold. Why? Because God never promises to stop the storms in our lives, but he does promise to sustain us in the midst of the storms. First key truth you need to know is if you deal with God as if he is a cosmic-sized vending machine, the vending machine of heaven will get jammed. The second key truth you need to know when dealing with disappointment in your life is this. Just because you can't see God doing something doesn't mean he isn't doing something. Look back at the text. Look at verses 8 and 9. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So what you need to know is at this particular time, there was roughly eighteen to 20,000 priests in, in the nation of Israel. And that was far too many priests to serve in the temple at the same time. And so these eighteen to 20,000 priests were divided up into 24 different divisions. And one division would serve for one week twice a year in the temple. So at this particular time, Zechariah's division is on duty. And once in the morning and once in the evening, one priest would be chosen to enter the holy place, burn incense, and offer prayers on behalf of the nation. They would decide which priest would go in by casting lots. And we really don't have anything uh, in our society comparable to casting lots, but I'll go ahead and refer to it like rolling the dice. So what this means is to get chosen to enter the holy place to burn incense and offer prayers for the nation of Israel was, it would be like the pinnacle of your career opportunity. Some people never got chosen. It was a once-in-a-lifetime deal. So year after year, Zechariah has shown up, rolled the dice, nothing. Shown up, rolled the dice, nothing. He shows up this particular time, though, rolls the dice, and his number gets called. So he enters the holy place and he begins to burn incense and offer prayers for the nation of Israel. And look at what happens. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. So he, he enters the holy place and he begins to offer prayers and we, we know what he's praying for. He's praying that God would deliver the nation of Israel from oppression. Some commentators believe that at this time, Zechariah had a second prayer kind of queued up. And it, was, it was a prayer for a child. And as he is praying, an angel busts into his prayer time. And he is 
standing at the right side of the altar, which was a position of favor. And this angel shows up with good news for Zechariah. And we find out that good news in verse 13. Look at what it is. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Happy Father's Day, Zechariah. Just because you haven't seen God doing something doesn't mean God hasn't been doing something. Zechariah, you and Elizabeth have never been off God's radar. You have never been out of his mind. You guys have been on his heart. He has been present in your lives, leading you the entire time. There's never a time where God has not had you at the front and center of his mind. Zechariah, all along, God has been preparing you and directing you to this moment where he would accomplish the impossible in your life. You know, the interesting thing, the more I read this Bible, the more I realize that God does his best work in the most disappointing times. God does his best work in the most disappointing times. Just think about the exodus from Egypt. Moses goes into Egypt. He busts two million people out of Egypt. He says, follow me to freedom. And where do they end up? Trapped at a dead end at the Red Sea. Can you imagine the disappointment in that moment? Imagine the conversations. Hey, Moses, I thought you said freedom. This looks like a dead end and there's an army pursuing us. What does God do? He shows up and splits the thing in half. What about Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha? He gets so sick to the point of death. And Jesus doesn't even bother to show up for four days. Lazarus has been dead four days when Jesus finally shows up. Can you imagine the disappointment for Mary and Martha? We kind of hear the disappointment from Martha. What does she say? She says to Jesus in a sense, where were you? Have you ever said that to God? Where were you? She says, if you had been here, things would have been different. I wonder if you've ever said that to God or if you could at least resonate with that. God, where were you? If you had just shown up, things might have been different. Imagine the disappointment for them. What did Jesus do? He called for a stone to be rolled away. He talked to a dead guy and Lazarus shuffled out of the tomb. God does some of his best work in the most disappointing times. So what does this mean for us? It means be patient, trust God, pray fervently, watch for him to move. What if God is just moving you to a place where you are going to be able to see him move in a much greater way than you would ever experience if your dreams and reality were perfectly synced up? You have to remember that our God is a God of the impossible. He loves to do things that doctors can't explain. He loves to defy odds. He loves to provide miraculously. He loves to bless us at times in ways that we would least expect it. So don't be surprised if God does the impossible in your life. At the same time, you have to remember that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. There will be times where God doesn't heal, bless, or answer in the way that we hope. It might be that God's greatest movement in your life is a peace and a joy that surpasses all understanding, even in the midst of the disappointment. 
Which brings me to my third key truth you need to know when dealing with disappointment in your life. God cares deeply about your joy. God cares deeply about your joy. Look at what the angel continues to tell him. Verse 14, what does he say? He says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. So I love this because the angel is just saying, Zachariah, let me unpack God's will for your life. Uh, step number one, your, uh, your wife who is way up there in years is gonna get pregnant. She is going to be a medical marvel. Number one, your wife is going to get pregnant. Number two, you're going to experience joy and gladness. Why? Because God cares deeply about your joy. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that no matter where you're at in life, no matter how disappointing your life is right now, no matter how much difference there is between your dreams and reality, do you still believe that even right now in this moment in Cypress, Texas, God cares deeply about your joy? Like if you were to go and read this book, you know what you'd find? You'd find two things. Number one, you would see that God cares deeply about his glory. The second thing you would find is that God cares deeply about your joy. Those two things aren't mutually exclusive. They actually go hand in hand. As God's glory is magnified, your joy is intensified in your life. That's the way it works. Let me just show you from the scriptures how much God cares about your joy. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, after he had just unpacked, this is in the garden. He gathers his friends in a vineyard and he, and he tells them that the key to life is to abide in him like a branch to a vine. And after he shares this key truth with them, listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's what Jesus wanted, was, that's what Jesus wanted for his friends. Fullness of joy. What does Paul say in Romans 15, 13? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abide bound in hope. What's the second fruit of the Spirit? There's love and then there's joy. James 1, 2, 3, 3 says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is joy in the midst of the trials. This is joy in the midst of the disappointment, not after the disappointment, in the midst of it, God cares deeply about your joy, and it's his desire and will for you to live a life full of joy. I remember just a little less than a year and a half ago, um, my wife and I, we found ourselves in, a, in an extremely disappointing season. We, we found out that we lost a baby to a miscarriage, and I, I know that there are countless people probably in this room who have dealt with a miscarriage before. It's just not something that we talk about much. And I'll just say this before I keep telling our story. I would imagine that there are stories in here that are far greater in an intensity and in, in brokenness and hurt than our story. But the disappointment that we experienced was very, very real. I mean, we had been to the doctor. We had seen kind of a healthy heartbeat. We were under the impression that when you see a healthy heartbeat, the chances of miscarriage really go down. And so we had just begun dreaming and planning for our family. We had 
told our two boys, we had started telling our friends, and so we had begun dreaming. And then we went, when we went in again and we found out that we had lost the baby, man, our dreams and reality went in two totally different directions. And our lives were filled with disappointment. But even in the midst of the disappointment, I have this strong awareness that God cares deeply about our joy. I just think about the day that we found out about the miscarriage. I wasn't even planning on being at the doctor's appointment. The, the, the appointment was just for Kat to get measured one more time. And so we, uh, I wasn't even planning to be there. I had a breakfast meeting and uh, I thought Kat was already done with the appointment. And so I called her just on my way home to find out how the appointment went. And she said, I'm just sitting in the doctor's office right now. I'm waiting for the doctor to come in. And I just happened to be um, driving right past the hospital. So I said, okay, I'll just come sit with you. I mean, it made me look like an incredible husband. Baby, I just want to be with you. I'll just come sit with you. And so I park my car and I get out of my car and she texts me and says, the doctor just walked in. So I just start Forrest Gump sprinting through the parking lot and up the stairs because I don't want to miss the sonogram. And the moment I walked in the door, the doctor said, I don't have good news for you guys. And it was, it's moments like that that I reflect on and just say, God cares deeply about my joy. He didn't stop the storm, but in that moment, he stepped into our storm and just said, you weren't even planning on being here, but I put you here because I care about your joy and I wanted you to know I'm still present. And I just remember worshiping days after we found out about the miscarriage. I was singing that song, Good, Good Father, and just with tears coming down my eyes, I sensed that God was with me in holding us in that moment. And friends were so kind to just step in and love on us and cook for us and encourage us. And, and God really showed me that I hadn't been sympathetic to people who deal with miscarriages in their lives. And it, and it showed me that there's a great opportunity just to, to express love towards those who are hurting. It was moment after moment where God was allowing us to realize, man, there is joy even in the midst of the disappointment. So the reason I even share my story is simply to say, what I'm telling you, I, I personally believe that God cares deeply about our joy, no matter the disappointment. You know what? There's a lot of joy to be found when your dreams and your reality are perfectly synced up. But you know what? There's also a lot of joy that comes from God ministering to you in the midst of your disappointment. So don't miss the joy that's waiting for you right now. Don't miss the joy that's waiting for you right now. The fourth key truth that you need to know when dealing with disappointment in your life is this. God's plan A for your life is better than your plan A for your life. God's plan A for your life is far better than your plan A for your life. Look at how the story continues. Verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will, watch this, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So the angel says, hey, Zechariah, your baby isn't just going to be any ordinary baby. You're going to have a very special child. And the angel says he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's why that's so important, Okay. The, the time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament is considered the intertestamental period. 
And it, it's a 400-year period of time that was considered a 400-year period of silence where the nation of Israel really heard nothing from God and didn't experience any movement of the Holy Spirit. So when the angel says, your child is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, this is right here, Luke chapter 1. What he's saying is God is going to go public again through your child. This isn't going to be any ordinary kid. And what you need to know is during that 400-year period of time, the, the nation of Israel didn't hear a prophetic word. The last prophetic word they had heard is at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4. Let me tell you the last thing the nation of Israel had heard. It's this, Malachi 4, 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter, utter destruction. 400 years later, the angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah and listen to what he tells him in verses 16 and 17. He says about your kid, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of who? Elijah. To do what? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, Zechariah, listen up. All eyes on me right here, Zechariah. You know that person that Malachi talked about, the one who would come and prepare the way for the Messiah and turn hearts back to the Lord? Yeah, that kid is going to call you daddy. So Zechariah, you know what your plan A for your life was? Your plan A culminated in you having a kid that would change your life. God's plan A for your life was for you to have a kid that wouldn't just change your life, it would change tons of people's lives. You wanted a baby, you're going to get a John the Baptist. God's plan A is better than your plan A. God's dreams for your life are better than your dreams for your life. See, with God, who knows what will happen tomorrow? I mean, just think about this story. This story just reminds me, who, who knows what will happen tomorrow. With God, the impossible is always possible. Just because you're disappointed today in your unfulfilled dreams doesn't mean you won't be rejoicing tomorrow in God's dreams to change the world through you. What would it look like just for you today in this moment to not rush out of here, but for you to just say, you know what, God, it does feel like the vending machine of heaven has gotten jammed. It feels like it has, but I'm going to trust that just because I haven't, can't see you doing something doesn't mean you're not doing something. I'm going to believe that you care about my joy. I'm going to trust that your plan A for my life is better than my plan A for my life, but I need you to come and I'm begging you to show up, not in the way that I want you to, but in your perfect way because your will for my life is good, pleasing, and perfect. Look at how this story finishes. Verse 18 <clears throat> says this, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. Men, did you see what he did there? It was, it's so strategic. I, I'm old and my wife is, she's advanced. <laughs> That's good. 
Noted. And the angel answered him, Hello, McFly, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Just think about what's happening here. I mean, for years... Zachariah and Elizabeth have prayed for a kid, prayed for a kid, and Zachariah has shown up year after year to the temple, rolled the dice, nothing, rolled the dice, nothing. This time he rolls the dice, his number is called, he goes into the temple, the holy place. He's offering prayers for the nation of Israel. He probably has another prayer loaded up for a kid. In this moment, an angel shows up and says, you're going to get your kid. And what does he do? He doubts in question. You know why I appreciate this? You know what this shows me? It shows me that ultimately this isn't a story about Zachariah and Elizabeth's faithfulness. This is a story about God's faithfulness. God blessed Zachariah and Elizabeth in spite of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Even in the midst of his doubting, even in the midst of his questioning, God was still faithful to do all that he planned to do in their lives. You know what? Praise God he's not a God of karma. Praise God that he's not on board with this idea that if you do good, you'll get good. You know why? Because God's definition of good is way different than our definition of good. God's definition of good is perfection. That's God's definition of good. So if you want to operate as if God is some cosmic-sized vending machine where you have to get the combination of life right by doing good, what you need to know is that there's not a soul here that could ever get the combination of life right because we are all imperfect people. We don't deserve for God to drop down blessing what we deserve because we are not good. Romans 3 tells us there is none who does good, not even one. Maybe you're good in your own eyes, or according to the standards of the world, but God's standard is different. His definition is different. If you're not perfect, just like me, we don't deserve for God to drop down blessing. We deserve for him to drop down punishment and wrath. And so if you're in the midst of and if you're in the midst of a disappointing season, if because your life is disappointing, God is disappointing, you know where you need to start this morning? Where you need to start is by reminding yourself that you don't deserve what you actually think you deserve. I don't deserve what I actually think that I deserve. I don't deserve God's blessing. I deserve his wrath. But instead of dropping down his wrath, what he dropped down was his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth and he 
lived a perfect life. He's the only one who's gotten the combination of heaven right. He lived the life that I couldn't. And then he died the death that I deserve to die. What I'm saying is Jesus, my sin became Jesus' sin. My punishment became Jesus' punishment. My death became his death. Jesus Christ endured the wrath of God on my behalf, on your behalf, so that when we open up our lives and we invite him in, his resurrection to life could become our resurrection to a new life. This is what Christ has accomplished. Jesus has come to save us from our sin and to save us to a new life where even in the midst of disappointment, God is with us, fighting for us, sustaining us, crying with us, working all things for the good for us. And one day he's going to take us to an eternity where, which is free from disappointment. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. If your dreams and your reality are going in two totally different directions this morning, if you're in the midst of a disappointing season, let me just ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ? He is your only hope, I promise you. He's the only hope you have for joy in the midst of the disappointment. Do you know him? Are you trusting him? Because he can be trusted even when your dreams and reality go in two different directions, landing you in the midst of disappointment. Let's pray together.